Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, we're going to get all into self-care, taking care of yourself, because that's really important. If you don't take care of yourself, there is no way you'll be able to take care of your child with anxiety or OCD. That's just a fact. And unfortunately, all too often, we are very quick to to put that at the end of our to-do list to say, when I get more time, when things are not as stressful, I'll focus on me. And I have learned recently in the past year that that's backwards, that the more we pour into ourselves, the more we fill our cup up, the more we reset and take care of ourselves, the better parents we are, the better moms we are, the better dads we are, the better partners we are, like the more we show up in life when we take care of ourselves. So there's a huge payback. There's a huge reward when we spend some time focusing on taking care of ourselves. And that can look different for each one of us. And so I wanted to bring on another guest who is going to talk about self-care. So before I get into that though, and introduce her, I want to give you some updates on what is going on in the AT parenting community world at AT parenting survival. Um, I just got back from a conference that if you follow me anywhere, I had talked about kind of my big exposure, my big challenge (laughs) for OCD awareness week. And I was going to a conference without knowing anybody and it went really well. So that was a very cool end to my hierarchy in my social um, anxiety, put myself out there. And when I did that and I took some risks, I met some really awesome people. So it's good to model those things for our kids and it's good to test ourselves and it's, it's good to work on ourselves. And that is again, part of self-care is not just, you know, getting your nails done or your hair done. Although there's nothing wrong with that. If that is uh, rewarding for you, but self-care is also taking care of your own anxiety or taking care of your own OCD, taking care of your own issues, working through your own stuff and modeling that for your kids. So just want to give you an update on how that went. And it went really well. I do have some couple of things that are coming up. Um, I am brewing a resource, a very detailed project for therapists. I have actually had a lot of people reach out to me over the last four years who are therapists and ask me for a couple of different things. So I've had therapists who are parents reach out to me and they want more ongoing support because there are some nuances that come with raising a child with anxiety or OCD and being a mental health professional. And a lot of times it's hard for those people to be vocal in Facebook groups or in the AD parenting community because they are professional quote unquote. And so there is a lot of emotion that goes around that. So I have been asked by several people to create something just for them. The other thing that I get approached about often are from therapists who want to up their game when it comes to anxiety or OCD. They want peer consultation. They want to work with me one-on-one and they want to get some guidance on how to become the best anxiety or OCD therapist that they can. And it just wasn't in my wheelhouse. It wasn't something I was working on. Well, it's in my wheelhouse, but it's not, I wanted to focus on parents, but I am now brewing something 
to meet both of those needs. So if you are a therapist and you're listening and you're like, oh my gosh, thank God, what is she going to offer? You can get on my list. I have a special list that I'm creating in my email list that I'm tagging therapists so that next week I will reach out to only those people on my list because it is only going to be a small group of people that I'm going to invite because I want it to be intimate. And so I am telling people to get on this list. And if they're on this list, I'm going to email just those people. And I'm going to talk about what I'm working on and invite those people to, um, to see if they want to join me. So if you're a therapist in the mental health profession, and you are either a parent who's raising a child with anxiety or OCD and would love some support with the angle of being a therapist and, or you are working with children with anxiety or OCD, and you would love to get some ongoing support. It is not, um, well, I'll get into it when I email you guys, but you can get on my list by going to bit.ly. I made a bit.ly link. So bit.ly links are shorter links so that you don't have to say a whole bunch of stuff. So if you go to www.bitly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash therapist, all one word, um, therapist 19. So bit.ly slash therapist 19, sign up for that list. And then I will get back to you. You're going to hear from me next week with the nitty gritty details. So excited about that because I think that's going to be really awesome. And it's going to be helpful for a lot of people who are looking for that extra guidance in those areas. The last thing I want to mention before we get started is I have decided to not accept any more people into the AT parenting community for a little while. And so I had initially designed this membership community to be open all the time. So if somebody needed ongoing support in the AT parenting community, they could join it whenever they want Um, Well, for a little while, because I have all these other projects going on, I want to focus on the members that are already there. And so I'm going to be closing the doors to any new members starting in November. I think it'll be mid-November. I haven't decided on the date yet when I will be closing those doors. The membership is open as far as um, it's continuing. It's just no one else will be able to join us for the next few months while I focus on the current members that are there and give them support. When I open it back up in, I'm not sure, it'll be some sometime in 2020, the membership fee will go up. So it will go up to $30. So anyone who's logged in at this lower membership fee, right now it's $25 a month, and they get like weekly classes, they get access to some of my big classes for free, they get um, ongoing support in the forums, they have a website that's just for them, and a Facebook group that's just for them, lots of stuff. Um, And you can learn more about that at atparentingcommunity.com if you're interested, but you only have a few more weeks to get in there. And then I'm going to close the doors to new people for a little while and it'll reopen back up in 2020. So I just want to start to spread that information out there so I don't get a bunch of emails from people saying, oh my gosh, I can't get in. I'm warning you right now, the doors are going to be closing in November. Okay, so I want to introduce my guest for today. It's Dr. Orlean Carrick. Um, I've been following her work for a long time. She started off working with children and picky eating, and then she moved into moms and coaching and self-care. And that's where she is now. And she is a great authority in all of those areas because she is a pediatrician. She has um, a lot of medical knowledge um, as well as just life experience on how to live a healthy, happy life. And that's her, her goal and her passion is helping moms feel wonderful and fabulous and healthy. 
So her website is Dr. Orlina, and that is D-R-O-R-L-E-N-A.com. And she offers some amazing advice um, talking about how we can take care of ourselves and kind of the four areas that we should focus on when it comes to self-care. So without further ado, here is Dr. Orlina. All right. Well, I want to welcome Dr. Orlina Carrick to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. We're going to talk about, this is kind of like my new favorite topic, (laughs) even though it's not related directly to how to parent kids with anxiety and OCD is so related in, in the sense of how do we take care of ourselves so that we can take care of our kids. And I actually think it's a topic that parents don't want to hear about as much as they should. So I'm going to bring it on so that people are exposed to it. So you're the perfect person to talk to. Can you, can you give a little background about who you are and what you do? Yes. So I was a pediatric doctor and I used to live in the United Kingdom. And in 2011, I moved to Spain um, and I had two kids at the time. And I started working with online, doing picky eating. To cut a very long story short, I stopped doing clinical work because oh, I thought it was going to be easier moving from England to Spain, but it wasn't. So I started working with picky eaters because, hey, I had some picky eaters myself. Um, I now have four children and my youngest is very picky. So the twins are now six and he suffers with anxiety as well. So I think that's how I found you. One of the reasons I found you because you helped me a lot with, with him. And I have recently pivoted to help mothers. And one of the reasons for that pivot was, I think my own journey of parenting and how tricky it was and how we have this idea that parenting is going to be so super easy and it's not super easy and all those big emotions. And I think in our family, it kind of manifested as quite a lot of stress and frustration. My husband got unwell and we ended up having to do so much work on ourselves, on emotionally on ourselves in order to be able to help my kids, you know, and to deal with those big emotions. And I think that's something that is just missing a lot and that people don't go, okay, so in order to be able to help my children, I actually have to really look after myself and get into that place where I have the energy to be able to look after my kids. Because we all know when we're tired and grumpy, like our children, that we just, we can't turn up and give them all that energy. It's so true. And I think sometimes people think of self-care or taking care of themselves as, you know, this thing that's going to take so much time and it's going to take so much money and it's going to be hedonistic and they don't have time for their nails or massages. And, and I don't think it's about any of that. You know, I think it's, and I've, I've been on a, like a total self-care kick for like the last three months, I would say. And, um, I had, uh, another like life coach on Hillary who came on and that was kind of like the beginning of my journey, but we won't get into me for, for now. And I do have to say, before we even jump into this, just for those parents who are like, oh man, this isn't a good topic today, you know? What am I going to listen to? <laughs> it has completely transformed my relationship with my kids. Like my kids are doing so much better because I'm better. So it's directly related to the progress that our kids with anxiety and OCD have. But look, that's a tangent. But let's jump into how do you take care of yourself? So what are the steps or what do you think are the things that are the most important for a mom or a dad or a caregiver to do for themselves? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think, do you know what? It's not just parents. I think I know we're talking about parents, but it is 
everybody, everybody needs to learn to take care of themselves. And so I think the, the main pillars are nutrition, and that is eating healthily. And, you know, for me, in a nutshell, that is eating lots of vegetables and eating less packaged foods. And nutrition is something that I love and can go on about for hours and hours and hours. And on one level, it can be super complicated because there's so much interesting research about nutrition. But on another level, do you know what? When I was a child, we knew that vegetables were healthy for us and that candy wasn't good for us. We called them sweets, but sweets weren't good for us. And that that really hasn't changed. So that healthy eating hasn't changed heaps and heaps. And that's one of the fundamentals. The other fundamentals are exercise and making sure that you exercise your body. Our bodies are made to be exercised. They are made to be used. And, you know, you talk to people who have dogs and everyone goes, oh, if you get a dog, you have to walk the dog. Well, you have to do the same for humans as well. And not just because, um, you know, we want to lose weight. Actually, exercise isn't fabulous for weight loss, but it is good for your muscles, your bones, your generalized health, and also for feeling good. And one thing that I see is lots of people say, oh, I don't have enough energy to exercise. I'm too tired. But it's actually the reverse. If you're tired, that's when you want to go and exercise because it actually gives you energy. And a lot of people don't understand that, that really and truly, if you're doing some good exercise, you come back feeling invigorated and yay, I can take on the world. Yeah. Yeah. Number three is sleep. And there's so much interesting research on sleep now that in the last 15 years, we've really begun to understand far more about sleep. We've always understood that sleep, well, not always, but you know, we've understood that sleep is good for us and it's when the body repairs, but we're really beginning to see more of those systems and exactly what that means for us. And, you know, we eat less when we're well rested. We know that we're happier when we're well rested. We're more productive when we're well rested. So everybody should be making sure they get enough sleep. And then the last piece of the puzzle, which is super interesting and also another really big topic is emotional wellness and mindset and self-awareness and all those kind of things. So how do I look after myself? And, and things like, you know, what exercise am I going to do? Well, I'm self-aware enough to know that I'm going to do an exercise that I enjoy rather than making myself do an exercise that I'm not going to enjoy. And this is one of the, this mindset is really interesting and a key to so many things. And I think we get into a downward spiral of so many things. So, you know, if you're tired and grumpy and your kids are playing up and suddenly everything is just a disaster, whereas actually you can spiral it up the other way and turn it into a positive spiral when you can start seeing things in a different way. So those are the four main pillars. Different people have different pillars, but those are the ones that I use. Yeah, I think those are great pillars because really if you have those four things balanced and in check, life is going to go pretty well for you. So I think people here, you know, these aren't new concepts to anybody, I'm sure, but people hear diet or, you know, eating healthy and they hear exercise and they might just already be like, yeah, no, <laughs> I don't even know where to start with that. So forget it. So what are some simple ways for people to kind of get started or get motivated where it will stick? Yeah, I think as well, like lots of people, there are lots of reasons why people get a bit complacent about it. And part of it is because they think, oh my goodness, I can't do this. I'm too busy. And it's really just about habits. 
And habits are things that we do without thinking about them, that our brain wants to be efficient. So our brain doesn't want to learn a new function. It just learns this quick route of doing it. So take an example of brushing your teeth. We all know how to brush our teeth. It's not like we have to think about brushing our teeth. And that's really where you want to get to with healthy habits, whether it is how you eat or how you exercise or how you think. Even how you think is, is just a habit. We have this habit of thinking, oh my goodness, it's raining. Isn't that beautiful? Or, oh my goodness, it's raining. I'm going to get wet. Like It's just a pattern of how we think. So habits are really interesting because lots of people think that to lead healthy habits and have a healthy life, you have to be super disciplined. And that's not actually true. What you have to do is set up your life in such a way that it's really easy for you to carry out those habits. So let me give you an example. On Tuesday and Thursdays, I go swimming and I go to my swimming training and I love my swimming training. So it's one of the exercises that I've chosen because it suits me. And I also am self-aware enough to know that once I have made a commitment, I will stick to it. And I also pay for my swimming training and I'm somebody who likes to get value for money. So that's another incentive for me to go. But really and truly, that habit starts when I leave my house at 2.30. So my children go to afternoon school here in Spain. And I walk them to school and then I walk them down. I walk myself down to the swimming pool. And at some stage, I might think, oh, you know what? That water looks a little bit cold and I would rather not do swimming today. But you know what? I'm standing at the edge of the swimming pool in my swimming costume and my trainer is behind me. And, you know, there's no way for me to back out now. And then my brain says, oh, you know what? The first length is going to be cold and then you're going to love it. And that's what I know. But it's not like... I am there going, oh, I really don't want to go swimming, but I'm so virtuous that I'm going to go swimming. That's not the story. The story is, of course, I have to walk my children to school. And in order to stop doing that habit, I would have to make a monumental effort to make a U-turn. And I just don't do that. I'm on this train and I just carry on. And that's the secret to habits, I think. That's a good point. You know, I think if we stack the deck, you know, so that our habits are surrounded by, I, I like how you were saying, like, you're not going to, you're responsible. I'm so like that too. Like if I had a class that I paid for, for one, I would want to get value. I wouldn't want to disappoint somebody, you know, who's waiting for me and you're going to show up. And if you show up at that point, you're definitely going to do it. I've kind of done a similar thing at home recently where I walk two miles at night and that probably wouldn't be very, you know, enticing, but I take one of my kids with me each time. And really my priority is my kids and spending one-on-one time. And for some bizarre reason, they love it and they fight over it. So I have three kids and I have, I have to write on the calendar now because they're like, it's my turn. And they start to argue about it and they're going to keep, they're going to want this walk, whether I want it or not. And so it's, it's a no brainer. It's like, this is going to (laughs) happen because they're like, it's my turn. So it's kind of the same idea. Absolutely. That's an amazing way. And that's a really good habit to teach your kids too, that they just have this habit of going for a walk and it's something that's normal for them. Yeah, I did not think my kids were going to really enjoy this walk. I mean, even my 16-year-old who pretty much lives in her back cave, I did not think she was going to want to go for a walk. So, and then it's it's killing two birds with one stone because I'm I'm really getting to know my kids on a d- deeper level because I'm having this 40-minute alone time with them every night. So, sometimes I think parents have to just think creatively. We think of we have to go to the gym or, you know, we have to eat in a certain way and it's you know, I think it's small steps and it's doing things. I like the way you said, finding something that you like, exercise that you like, or exercise that is um, doable. So that was a good point. 
Yeah, I think everything about your healthy life, about the way you eat and about the way you live and changing your habits from perhaps not so healthy to really super healthy. The key is that it has to fit in with you and your lifestyle rather than, oh, I have to change how I am. You know, like I love swimming. So obviously it's a no brainer for me to go swimming. But, you know, I wouldn't tell you if you hated swimming. Well, you know, your sport can be something totally different, but it's just understanding you. And I say to people, the first step of understanding and changing habits is self-awareness and understanding first of all what your habits are whether they're good habits or bad habits all habits serve us in some way they give us a reward it's just that sometimes those habits are giving us other negative things as well so for example a bad habit might be you know you're driving back from work and you're feeling stressed and so you eat chocolate to make yourself feel better and that's a habit you get into And you can change that habit once you're aware of it and your reason for doing it. So your reason can be, well, I feel tired and stressed and I want to give myself some some reward. But when you start reworking your life, you can go, oh, do you know what? Actually, my reward is, or, you know, I, I don't need this chocolate because I have factored in some me time for myself. So I'm getting some time for reading. Something as simple as reading can be something that, nurtures us or you know I get to go and have a massage once a month or once every two months or reflexology and that really nurtures me and helps me relax and think about these things so it's just about understanding and being self-aware and then step two is working out which habits you want to keep and which habits you don't want to keep and which new habits you want to have and then step three is obviously doing it yeah and just the awareness that you do have these habits you know, I think a lot of us do things that we don't even realize are unhealthy because we don't have the insight to, to look at ourselves kind of from the outside in and say, this is what I'm doing. Like I always had a cup of dark chocolate every night, like in a small little cup, but it was still a cup, you know? And when I, when the kids were asleep and I got to like relax and actually do some more work, which is not good self-care either, I would reward myself with a little cup of dark chocolate and I thought, well, it's dark chocolate, so it's not that bad, <laughs> you know. And, but I was really making this association of reward equals the sweets, you know. When I'm rewarding myself, now I can have that. So I, I love your point about being cognizant of that. And then can you replace that with something else that's, that's equally rewarding? Yeah, and you're right. Dark chocolate isn't – it depends on the dark chocolate, but most dark chocolate – doesn't have heaps of sugar in it and actually there are health benefits of chocolate but what I always advise people to do is to eat their dark chocolate in a meal so straight after a meal so and I used to be exactly the same I used to work in the evening and dark chocolate was something I loved and then I realized that actually what I was doing was eating after dinner time and really what you want to be doing is having your dinner and finishing finishing and then allowing your body to rest and not eat and so fasting overnight for 12 to 14 hours and that gives your body a chance to clean itself and for your insulin levels to drop and all kinds of good things to happen so by all means enjoy dark chocolate but enjoy it at lunchtime or at dinner time rather than as a separate eating time yeah and I think the dark chocolate I was having was laden with sugar (laughs) If I'm to be honest, I think dark chocolate was really just the entryway into eating it in my mouth. So, but now I, I use cocoa, so I'll put cocoa in things um, like raw cocoa. But so, where, how would someone get started? Because I know for me, and I don't want to make this podcast all about me, but it's what I do. Um, it was hard because I was 
I was not healthy. I was not fit. I hadn't exercised in like half a decade. And And the impetus for me was that I was traveling a lot with my kids and my husband. And like, that's kind of my life goal is to live a life of adventure with them. And my feet were getting swollen as we're walking around. I was getting winded. Like I was holding everybody back because of my physical inability. And I realized, you know, I'm 47. Life is ticking away. If I don't start taking care of this car, it's not going to drive me anywhere. So that, that was my impetus, but I had to hit a pretty big wall of a lot of health issues, a lot of gut issues to have a wake up call. And people don't need that. The more stress you have, we're talking about parents today, just because that's who's listening. And, and the parents who are listening have more stress than the average person probably because they're dealing with their child's stress. And that physically starts to impact our bodies. I mean, you obviously know that more than I do as a doctor, but they might be so overwhelmed that they wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah, I mean, I think if you feel so overwhelmed, then it is worth talking to somebody who helps people on one-on-one basis. But if you're thinking about thinking about generally, my number one piece of advice is to go, okay, it's about priorities and I have to prioritize myself and I have to think about myself and I have to actually take this seriously. And I can make these changes. And so understand that there is no reason why you can't make these changes other than the reasons in your brain, which are saying, no, I can't. And we'll come up with 50 billion excuses, but everybody can eat healthily. Everybody can do some form of exercise to their own ability. And, you know, you stretch that. We don't expect everybody to start running a marathon. That would be ridiculous. And everybody can make sure they get to bed on time. You know, I hear a lot of excuses from people, but really and truly everybody can do it. And then I think it's about making some changes. So if you're thinking about diet and nutrition, and you know, if you're wanting to lose weight, so I work with people who want to lose weight, and really and truly, weight loss is 90% nutrition and what you eat. And exercise, and I think everybody should exercise, is a good way to help you lose weight, but it's really about feeling fit, fit and fabulous. That's the name of my podcast, but that's really what you get from exercising rather than a lot of weight loss. So if you look at nutrition, I always advise people to up the amount of vegetables that they eat because it's a really easy thing to do. So for example, if you think on Friday nights, we have frozen pizza because that's super easy and my kids love it. Well, you know what? Frozen pizza with lots of vegetables like broccoli and carrots and peas, pick the ones your kids are going to eat and give them a portion, a reasonable portion of of pizza and vegetables. And suddenly you've taken a meal, which is really, let's face it, not very healthy, to one that's reasonably healthy. So you've got a really long way just by adding vegetables. And, you know, that's super easy. And once you start on that, once you start adding in vegetables, you'll find that actually the amount of processed and, you know, pizza-style food that you eat will become less and less because those vegetables will fill you up and you'll enjoy them. And if you're really focused on it, that's the natural course of events. So my number one tip is, it's all about the vegetables. I love the vegetables. <laughs> yeah. So are there any vegetables people should avoid? Um, or should are veg- all vegetables good? Well, that is a really good question. And, I, and it kind of depends why people should avoid them. So I personally say that all vegetables are amazing and that, you know, people talk about superfood vegetables. So this one particular one is amazing and this one isn't. And... 
I say all vegetables are superfoods and that really we want to be eating a lot of variety. We want to be eating fiber. So there's been research recently that says if you eat 30 grams of fiber a day, then that's really good for your overall health and will stop you from dying from various things. And really and truly how you find fiber is in vegetables and things like whole grains, uh, which are the actual grains rather than whole meal, which is the flour, which has been whizzed up. So thinking about the actual grain. Now, your question was, are there any vegetables that are bad? And I have seen, particularly in the United States, that people don't like sweet corn. And the reason for that is because it's genetically modified. And um, particularly in the States, it's genetically modified, less so here in Europe. So, I mean, it's a, it's a sort of minutiae thing to think about. And my take on it is, you know what, if you're eating a diet that is full of processed and packaged foods and you start eating sweet corn, I think your diet has probably improved, even if that is genetically modified food. And if you're eating a diet that is full of vegetables and you eat some, which are the sweet corn that have been genetically modified, I suspect that you're, you're going to be fine. And the thing about genetically modified foods is that there's so much debate about whether it's good and whether it's not good. And, you know, that's, I think, a topic for an entire another podcast. But yeah, I think all vegetables are superfoods. Okay. Yeah. Cause I had recently heard the, I had never heard of what a nightshade is. And I guess that's just me being really ignorant. Um, nightshade vegetables, like tomatoes yeah, and the leptins in them. Yeah. Okay. I've heard about that too. And again, and there's one particular author who, whose name I have escaped. Um, and he talks about this, but I think that a lot of the stuff that he talks about, he talks about research in animals rather than specifically in humans. And if you look at the research that has been done in humans, so for example, um, there's a, a study that was done in Spain and nutritional research is actually quite difficult to do because, well, for many reasons, it's difficult to do. You need the numbers and you need things to be randomized and you need people to not know what they're eating and clearly that's not gonna happen. So one of the big studies that they did was called the PREDIMED study. And it was done here in Spain, actually. And it was looking at the Mediterranean-style diet. And the Mediterranean-style diet is not, as you would expect, lots of pasta and pizza. It's actually lots of vegetables and lots of variety and small amounts of meat with fish and specifically things like olive oil and nuts. And they ate lots of vegetables in that. And people on that diet do very well. And they looked at the markers of health and whether people lost weight and had less heart disease and things like that and they all did well on this diet and there are other bits of research as well that say you know the 30 grams of fiber so it can yeah if you listen to everything that you hear out in the world it's really easy to pick up on this and I have this from time to time I read this nutritional book and it tells me oh you can't eat this and you can't eat that and I end up going oh my goodness I can't eat this and I can't eat that but then you read another book so on the other side, one thing that a lot of people are interested in is our biome, which is all those um, gut bacteria and organisms that we have in our big gut. And we're beginning to find more and more. And it's so amazingly interesting research. And there is a book that's a British book called The Diet Myth by a professor called Professor Tim Spector. And in that book, he basically says, you know, we shouldn't be worried about genetically modified food because our biome can cope with all of these things. And, it, and our biome 
basically um, evolve so much more quickly than we do. So the argument is, oh, we can't eat all of these foods because it should take us 500 years to learn how to eat them. But he says, well, that's not true because our biome is what really is breaking it down. And that happens really super quickly. And again, he addresses this issue of like, oh, well, there's all these different things that you know, we shouldn't be able to process. And he's like, yeah, but it's our biome that processes them. So really and truly, these things about these nightshades, you know, everything has a little bit of toxin in it. You know, when you think about vegetables, they don't necessarily want us to eat them all the time. So yeah, there's a little bit of not great stuff in them, but overall, far less not great stuff than packaged foods, I think is the bottom line. Yeah, and that makes sense. And ultimately, you've got to trust your body with all of this stuff, like what your body's telling you about certain things that you eat, whether it feels good or not feels good in your body and exercise, what feels good, what doesn't feel good. Um, and, and I do want to also say that if your kids, you know, just like in my family, no one's on the health kick train. I've tried, it's not happening. Even my husband's super picky. He's not the greatest kid. And I think sometimes as moms speaking for moms, like it can hold us back because we can think, well, no one else is going to eat my stuff. And I, I mean, I know I was a grazer. I didn't want to waste food. So as I'm cleaning food or whatever, I'm stuffing my face with like, oh, she left a fried chicken or whatever. Let me just eat that. You know, oh, here's a chicken nugget and a French fry. Let's just eat that. And really, by the end of the day, I probably have grazed a lot of plates. And I think letting go of, um, my, and this is probably very morbid and sad, you know, the half glass empty kind of mentality, but I had to kind of, and you know, my son has OCD issues around food and my daughter has celiac disease and she's super picky and has her issues around food. And my oldest daughter has sensory processing and she has her sensory issues around food. And so we're a mess. And I finally had to let go and just say, I need to take care of myself, regardless of whether my family wants to eat in the way that I want to eat. I have to kind of come up with a different way I eat. And so a lot of times I will feed them what I'm making. They don't realize that this has got avocado oil in it instead of the regular, you know, oil that we used to use. And they have no idea that, you know, I'm using different things, but a lot of the time I'm eating something separate. Yeah. I mean, that, that does happen. I, in an ideal world, people don't want to do that partly because it's just more word, more work. And I think the reality with children is, or with humans, is that we are designed to seek food because you have to think about how we were back in the day. And, you know, we had to go and hunt and gather all this food and food was scarce. So adults and children are designed to seek food. And the way we see food now is in highly processed glucose. So if you think about bread and sugar, it just gets broken down into glucose. And that is perfectly normal. Children are like glucose-seeking missiles. And if you ask a child what they want to eat, they're going to say, I want to eat sweets and candy or, you know, those comfort kind of foods like spaghetti bolognese or we have something called shepherd's pie, but those foods that are really, really easy to eat. And that's what they want to eat. But if you take a step back and think, okay, what is the purpose of eating? The real purpose of eating is to fuel our bodies. And it's not actually for enjoyment. Now, I'm not saying you can't get enjoyment from eating food, but if we think about the purpose of it, it's actually to fuel our bodies. And so people get really caught up in this idea that, well, our children should always have something that, you know, is their best thing to eat. And so it's so easy for us nowadays to go, okay, well, I can just provide something else for them. Whereas previously, 
it was eat this or there's nothing else because there literally wasn't anything else. But we're not in that situation now. And we're worried about our children getting hungry and we don't want them to be upset. And there's so much amazing food around, which is easy to just pick out of a packet that you can see how this snowballs into this effect. And so I think with children, I always say, you know, you've got the whole of childhood to teach them healthy eating habits. And it is about teaching them healthy eating habits. They are not naturally designed to want to eat cabbage and lettuce and things like that. It's the rare child who goes, yep, give me some cabbage because most children will go, yuck, I hate that cabbage. And that's perfectly normal, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you allow them to eat cake the whole time because clearly that's not a healthy diet either. So it's, it's, you know, it's getting the balance right of, you know, not making a huge issue out of it, but equally being in control and letting them pick out of the things that you provide them with. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a tricky thing. I think for a lot of parents who are raising typical kids, I think that's, that's solid advice. And that's, you know, you can model good eating, you can provide good things. It's your cabinet, it's your pantry, whatever's in there. I think there's some people on the clinical spectrum who, you know, who, who really that can't resonate with just because if you have like intrusive thoughts around food and you're talking about getting G-tubed, your child isn't going to, they will starve to death um, because they'll. Yes, no, totally. It, no, sorry. I'm not talking about people who have extreme picky eating and ex- yeah. the vast majority of people who talk about picky eating. If we look at uh, the whole population, most people use picky eating as like, Oh, my child doesn't like this. My child doesn't like that. If you have extreme picky eating and that will um, mean that it will affect their growth. Clearly if your child's growth is affected, then you need to go and seek more help. And, you know, there are specialists out there who really help with extreme picky eating and they are different than um, children who don't have extreme picky eating. Yeah, I bring that up because a lot of the parents listening to this have those extreme picky eaters. So I don't want them to, you know, yeah, no, it is, I want them it is, to get. Yeah, it is different. And, you know, I, I have friends who work with extreme picky eaters and I happily recommend some of them. But, um, yeah, it is a slightly different. I mean, well. It is different on one level, but the main thing is, you know, don't pressure your children to eat. So I would never advocate pressuring your children to eat. It's about allowing, making sure that you have foods that your children can eat, but they don't have to be their favorite foods the whole time. And I think this is where it gets slightly complicated because, you know, we put out food that we know is acceptable to our children, but then obviously our kids go, oh no, I hate that today. And then you actually believe that they hate that. But if they, if you know that it's something that's not on the disgusting, I really, really hate it list that it is acceptable, but it's just that today they've decided that they're not going to eat it, then there is an opportunity for them to eat something on the table. And different people do this in different ways. I personally have let my son eat green green apples. He likes green apples and not red apples. And quite often he will get down from the table and say, please, can I get a, a green apple? And I go, yeah, that's fine. Because he sat at the table and he can see what's there. And, you know, a green apple is healthy. You can live off green apples. They're reasonably healthy. That's perfectly fine. So how you manage that is a different, a different, you know, question. But yeah, yeah, that makes sense. The other thing I was going to say when you were talking about this is thinking about healthy eating for children. The best way that you can teach your children healthy eating is actually to eat healthily yourself. And that is, I think, the bottom line is, you know, if you have good healthy eating habits, that is you teaching your children healthy eating habits as well. Yeah, modeling is definitely good. And I mean, I think definitely even just 
me cooking and showing my kids like, what are these green muffins? Can I have one? That's weird. What are you eating? You know, it's, <laughs> it's definitely uh, giving them an alternative perspective on how you, how you eat and how you exercise at night. So I want to kind of touch on all of the points that you brought up. So we've talked about exercise a bit. We talked about eating. I want to go into uh, sleep for a second and then mindset. So with sleep, is there a magic number or is it different for each person? Well, there is a magic number and the magic number is seven to eight hours sleep. And I guess it depends on yourself. So I think I'm somebody who has seven hours sleep. So even though I go to bed regularly at 10.30, I often wake up after seven hours, even though it would be perfectly fine for me to eat uh, sleep longer. But a lot of people have six hours sleep. And the thing about sleep deprivation is you don't really realize that you're deprived of sleep. And one good indication actually is coffee. And coffee is actually relatively healthy, but what a lot of people do is they self-medicate first thing in the morning to sort of give themselves that caffeine rush and get up and going. And then that can have knock-on effects. If you're drinking coffee during the day, it can then affect your sleep. What I've started doing, because I love coffee, is to have my coffee mid-morning so that I know that I can wake up and be fine without coffee, that I'm not dependent on it, but I'm still enjoying it. So yeah, yeah it's, I think the thing about sleep is really, it is a mindset thing. The vast majority of it is about, it's about making sure you get to bed on time and giving yourself that sleep. Now, if you have young kids and sometimes pets and other reasons, then, you know, people do have difficulty sleeping. But the number one thing is to make sure that you just, it's just a math thing. You have to work out what time am I getting up? Well, I need eight hours before that and perhaps half an hour to relax and get into sleep zone. Yeah. And, And I, a lot of parents, I think, covet that, that quiet time at night because it's finally this time where no little people are asking them to do anything. No little people are getting out of bed. Finally at like midnight, it's quiet, you know? And so it's like this beautiful hour, but we're drained and we're exhausted. We're not really good for anything. And, and so we, we pay for it the next day. And what I've learned, and I'm not a morning person at all, is I started waking up at five in the morning because it's the quietest time of the day no one's up at five. It used to be my daughter was, but now she's not. So she's sleeping better. And from five to six, six fifteen, like I have the most peaceful time to do a quick exercise and I meditate and I, this is all new by the way. So hopefully it'll stick, but I journal, I'm like doing all these like things that are really good for me. And like my mindset is better the entire day. And I drink this green juice that, you know, just to give me kind of that wake up, I detox from coffee and it was the worst thing ever. Um, I love coffee. Coffee is such my friend, but I like for three days, I was so like, I must've had, cause I like lived, I had like a drip going like an IV drip going of coffee, like my entire day, totally unhealthy. And so I like your idea of just mid morning, letting your body know that it can do it by itself because there was this complete association with coffee equals me living. I'm alive when I have coffee. I don't feel alive. Let me have some coffee. I'm feeling tired. Let me have some coffee. I'm just going to have a nice chat with you. Let me get some coffee. You know, <laughs> it was like, yeah, no, you can't have too much coffee and you have to think about the half-life of coffee as well. So if you have lots of coffee, it takes time to metabolize and it can affect your sleep. And so what you were talking about when you stopped your coffee and it was miserable for three days was actually caffeine withdrawal because your body 
gets used to having it. And what I would recommend people to do is actually, if you're drinking a lot of coffee, don't cut, don't cut out. And if you do, you're likely to get headaches and feel not great. So you're actually better off just going for a small coffee because that will just get you over that symptom. So go down to a small bit. And if you want to cut out, then it's easier to do it that way. Where were you three months ago? (laughs) I could barely work. I was like, wow, I'm a, I'm a drug addict. Like I'm like actually going through some major withdrawals. So I will never touch coffee again because that was so traumatizing. But, and I had it when I was pregnant too, like every time, but nothing as bad as that. All right. So sleep is important. Seven to eight hours. Um, I would encourage a five o'clock waking. Everyone probably thinks I'm crazy, but that's. I think you're crazy. Sorry. I have to say, I think you're crazy. I'm all for eight hours sleep, but I think for me, the earliest, in the summer, I go swimming at seven o'clock in the morning and I love that. But I think you have to remember as well that if you're going to do five o'clock, you have to go to bed even earlier. I do. Okay, fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my husband is like, you know, he's like 40 something going on 80 something. So he always wants to go to bed at like nine, nine thirty. And I'm always like, seriously, I'm just getting started. It's finally quiet. And now... I go to bed with him. So like 9.30 or 10, I go to sleep and I wake up at five. And Look, that's fabulous. If that's another example of it working for you. Do you see how it's like different? You can still apply the same concepts to two different people and you can do that and that works fabulously for you. And for me, I go to bed at 10.30 and that works perfectly fine for me. And that's okay. We don't all have to be the same. Yeah, it's definitely finding your magic. It's finding what works for you and what what you can maintain, you know, because if you try something new, in my opinion, when you try something new and it doesn't resonate with you and it's not your thing and it seems super painful to do it, you're not going to stick with it. Yeah, stop, stop. Definitely stop. <laughs> yeah, it's just not going to stick. So I guess there okay. are a few caveats to that. So for example, we were talking about food and listening to your body and carbohydrates are one of the things that, you know, people have carbohydrates hydrate cravings. So when you have those cravings, and it, again, it can feel a bit like a withdrawal, that you're so used to having lots of sugar levels that it can feel difficult if you want to say, I want to cut that out. But that once you've cleared that withdrawal, that craving, then your body will go, oh, do you know what? I actually love these healthy foods. And you will find that, you know, once you're used to eating healthy foods the whole time, you don't think, oh, I want that sticky donut. You kind of, someone offers you a sticky donut and you're like, hmm, yeah, okay. You know, from time to time I might have them. But actually what your body is saying is, I want to eat vegetables and I want to eat nuts and I want to eat all these things that you're used to eating and that your body now craves. Well, when you start to feel the results of it, which sometimes can take a little bit of time, but I mean, when you start to feel like you're not fatigued anymore and you have more energy and you have more clarity, you're not having like fog, like brain fog, you start to really see how eating, treating your body well is, is so beneficial, not just because you're eating healthy, but because it really impacts your entire life. And then I like, if I eat cake now, I actually get sick. Um, it, my body's just like, I will have to give you some of my amazing cake recipes. I make, oh, what do you call them? Eggplant. We call them aubergines, aubergine brownies with raw cocoa, and very little sugar. Oh, they're amazing. My son, who is my really picky eater, calls them mummy's yummy cakes. So there you go. That's a win for me. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll have to get the recipe. I did get like an avocado brownie recipe. And I thought, I don't know. Avocado and brownie, those aren't two that I would match together. But uh, And how was it? I don't know yet. I haven't made it. But it's on my to be list. I've been trying to stay away from sugar. Like not even, it's not even sugar, but I've been trying to stay away from even perceived sweets right now because I was trying to like rewire my brain 
to not have that gratification, to think like now I need something else to substitute. I've been trying to like accept that I don't need that right now. Um, but it's been, it's been three months. So I'm, we'll, we'll, we'll make the brownies. So. Yeah. I think as well, if you have this rule that you have to make them. So when my kids want sweet treats, like sometimes I buy them for them, but quite often I just say, if you want it, you have to make it. And that's another really good lesson for them. And, you know, they don't get in the kitchen that often. They talk about it a lot, but they actually don't do it. So it makes it really easy to go, well, there you go, make it then. And once you have to make something, well, you enjoy eating it much more, but you also see how much time and effort goes into making these things that we can just pick off the, the supermarket aisle and do nothing, you know, just open it. Yeah, there's, I mean, that there's definitely more appreciation. So when you got to go in there and make it from scratch, for sure. Okay, so we've covered, we've covered sleep. Let's talk about mindset quickly and, and where people should kind of work on that. Yeah, mindset is a big topic. So do you want to ask me a specific question about it? Well, where do you think people, um, where does mindset kind of hold them back? I think self-care. Well, I think several things. So I think habits, we get into this habit of how we think about ourselves and our self-identity, which is actually super important as well. And if you want to have a think about your identity, I would encourage you to think about, I am somebody who takes care of myself and looks after myself. And from that space, you can then start to think about, well, as a person who looks after myself, what would I do? Would I eat that chocolate on the way home from work every single day? Or would I get up and go for a walk or a run and make sure that I have my own self time? So that's number one. I think also self-awareness is useful, partly because it shows us how we create these habits and what we like. And, you know, for example, working with um, weight loss clients Sometimes they find themselves going, oh, I'm in the fridge. Why am I in the fridge? And when you really unravel that, it's an emotional feeling underneath. And, you know, I notice it as well. And, you know, I'm a bit bored in the morning. I'm sitting doing some work that I don't really want to do. And suddenly I'm like, oh, it's time for coffee. And I might just, you know, go and get an apple. Well, there's not really anything wrong with eating an apple, except that I know I'm eating an apple because I'm bored rather than because I'm actually hungry. And, you know, the big difference is if you're eating a processed something, then that's far more in terms of calories and energy than if you're just eating an apple, which is much less in terms of energy. And I think, so self-awareness is one. And also people think about self-awareness as different ways. So there's lots of different things you can do for self-awareness. One of it is just literally being aware of yourself and how you think and how you move. Meditation is another important thing. And stress levels are another important thing. So we now live in this society where our default is to be stressed and to live in what we call red lights rather than green, calm, soothing. That's where we should be. Our default should be that we are happy and calm and we should occasionally move into the stressed red zone rather than constantly live in the red stressed zone. And that's where we find ourselves. And there's lots of tools that you can do to minimize that meditation is one exercise is another and just taking time out and reading or sitting and you know social media is another negative thing I guess we're always so used to having a mobile phone within reach and instead of taking that few minutes of just going oh I'm just sitting here there's a pause in the day I'm just going to breathe and look at the sky and 
do nothing, we're seeing what's happened. And quite often, whatever's happened is something negative that's happened. And then, you know, this triggers this whole stress emotion, rather than just being and, you know, thinking about our bodies and our lives and or just appreciating how amazingly lucky we are to be alive. Which is huge. And I think we're, you know, we just don't, I think it's becoming more um, in vogue to start to pay attention to the now and start to live in the moment. I mean, at least there's more conversations about it. And it seems like such a simple thing, but it really, it just completely reshapes your happiness when you really focus on what you're doing. And then you have that awareness. You have that awareness of, oh, you know, I'm grabbing an apple because I guess I'm bored because I'm not hungry. Like almost being able to observe your behavior as an objective bystander. And I think that's really helpful. Yeah, I mean, like I never noticed when I would eat, I would never really focus on my eating. It would be, there would be something next to me that I'd be eating while I was on social media or working on my podcast or working on whatever I was working on. And there was no awareness to my food and, you know, us just being totally plugged in all the time and how that impacts us. I think you brought up some really good points, you know, being aware of, I'm going to go check my email or Facebook or whatever it is for you guys. And this is going to impact my mood. And so am I ready for that? Am I ready to invite that in? Because it's not going to be a neutral emotion. So yeah, I try to like, if I'm going to eat now, I try to like just sit there and eat. Fabulous. Yes. Mindful eating. And the other thing is about thinking about our thoughts as well. And our mindfulness is that it's super useful for parenting as well. And a lot of the way that we parent, well, quite a lot of it can be wrapped up in how we think about things. And so when I was doing a lot of work with picky eaters, and not the extreme picky eaters, I'm not talking about extreme picky eaters here, but actually a lot of people get wrapped up in this idea that they want their children to really sit at the table and eat nicely and enjoy this social time, and this social time should be good, and the children are complaining and being stressful. And once you rethink that and, you know, you get to the stage of, okay, we can do this, but it has to be rewired slightly in that, you know, you have to give back the power to the children to go, okay, well, this is what I'm eating and this is what I'm not eating. So it can play in there as well. And the other thing is when we're dealing with children with big emotions, we have these things called mirror neurons. And the minute you step into that, zone around your child who is having big emotions well if you're rested and looking after yourself you have far more chance of being able to deal with that in a calm and compassionate and loving way than if you're not because our natural instinct is to reflect that emotion and get cross and you know when we think about it from a mind we don't want to do that we obviously we want to turn up as amazing parents who are this then like tranquility but the reality is is that isn't often how we turn up particularly in the face of a screaming child because then we're all triggered and angry but that self-awareness can then help you to realize what's going on to get control of yourself by doing breathing or whatever it is and then look after the child and, you know, that's, it's very easy to say all of these things, but the reality is it's very difficult to actually do them. And it just takes practice and practice and practice. And I reckon I'm going to have perfected it by the time I'm a grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> Your grandkids are going to be so lucky. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, if I ever get to perfect it. But my point is, it takes time and we're not perfect. But that self-awareness really, really does help us minimize that, that those big emotions or deal with them in the best way we possibly can. Yeah, I think... Mirror neurons are like fascinating. That would be a whole podcast in and of itself in, in how 
I could just go on about that. That's just such an interesting concept. But if we're also okay and we're doing okay, you know, it works in the reverse too, that um, happiness and contentment can be contagious. And I definitely have seen that in my family in the last few months that, that my well-being is, is impacting their, their, their well-being. And I think forgiveness is important too as parents that you don't have to be perfect and tomorrow's another day. Every day is a new day. It's kind of what I say in my house all the time. Tomorrow's a new day. Every day is a new day. You know, we all mess up. We all make mistakes. And I think that forgiveness helps us with these new habits and it helps us with our mindset, helps us with our parenting because we're all imperfect and we're just trying. And as long as we have the intention and we're trying, that's the best thing we can do. So, yeah, that's a really good point to make actually is that when you're changing habits and we set this goal that we're going to do something like I don't know say for example you want to say okay I want to not eat cake for two weeks and then on the second day you find yourself eating cake and to forgive yourself and to go oh do you know what I'm just learning this new habit is where you want to be because the worst thing you can then do is go oh do you know what so I'm going to eat cake for the next two weeks because well I have failed I haven't succeeded so I might as well give up whereas when you actually get to yeah okay it was just one of these things it happened then you're in that position to go, okay, we're going to do it again and again and again until we get it right. And I think people really think that the goal to whatever the goal is, whether it's general health or weight loss or, you know, creating harmony in your family is this goal that we do one day. Yes. One day. Yes. One day. Yes. And we will walk there. It doesn't happen like that. It happens like, okay, you take a step forwards and a few steps backwards and a few steps forwards and a few steps backwards. And that's fine. That's just part of living and part of life. Yeah. I agree. So let's talk a little bit about what you offer. I know you have a lot of resources. You've pivoted and evolved since I've talked to you last. And so can you share a little bit about your work? Yeah. The main work I do right now is I do one-on-one weight loss coaching. And I work mostly with busy mothers because I have four children of my own. And so I understand the stress that they're under to produce food for their kids. So the other thing that I offer, which I actually created for my weight loss clients, was um, a meal subscription called My Kitchen Miracles. And you get 20 healthy, easy recipes that will, they're healthy recipes, the point is. So if you're trying to lose weight, they will support your weight loss. But then nutritious meals that you can feed to your kids and teach them healthy eating habits. And you know, like them. The kids will like the meals. Well, obviously all children have likes and different likes. So I haven't made it that I will promise that your children will like all of these meals, but then, you know, exactly foods that you expect some children to like. And yeah, so that's the, um, the subscription that I'm offering at the moment. So do they get, um, they subscribe and do they get new recipes all the time or is it they get yeah, like you get 20, 20 new recipes a month and I do a little video where I introduce the recipes and you know give you I, I don't want to make the video super long because I know people are busy but I'll give you know a bit of well let's buy vegetables or you know a pep talk and there's um, a Facebook group so people can ask questions and get to know me and you know if they have questions they can ask about it and you know if they're having problems with their kids how can they and they're picky eaters, how can they do this? Or if they're wanting to lose weight, they can ask questions. So the Facebook group is open to everybody, but the people in the membership site, obviously, I don't know, they're there more. That's cool. Because I know sometimes it's hard to find good recipes, you know, and 
be creative with healthy food. And I've been amazed at seeing some really interesting combinations and things from recipes where I'm like, I would have never thought. So that's a neat thing that you're offering. So Thank you. Can- yeah, well, you can find it at Dr. Orlina, which is D-R and my name, O-R-L-E-N-A.com. So, and then there's a little tab which says My Kitchen Miracles. But I think my, my thing is easy, just super easy. And, you know, I think about people who get home and they want something easy. So they reach for a frozen pizza. Well, the thing I reach for, and they throw that in the oven, the thing I reach for is vegetables. Now I have to admit, most vegetables do need to be chopped up, but they're not, it doesn't take very long to chop them up. So my equivalent is take some vegetables, splash some olive oil on and chuck it in the oven. And it's easy to make a meal like that. So I'm all about healthy and easy because I'm not somebody who loves to be in the kitchen and spend my entire day in the kitchen. I do want my kids to have healthy food and I want to eat healthy food but I'm not this gourmet who is like, hey, let's make this beautiful sauce here and this beautiful sauce there. I want just simple and preferably train my kids to do it too. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, simple is easier because then kids can make it. <laughs> they can make their own food. So that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I will leave links to your website and where people can reach you because you're, you're, you've got so much information about how to to live healthy and to feel good. So thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I hope that you found her information helpful. You can follow her work at drorlina.com and check out what she's doing over there. Um, For those in the AT parenting community, she did stick around and recorded an extra video for you guys on where to start, which is the first thing. If you had to pick one area to start with, with uh, self-care, which area would she recommend and how to start it. So if you are a member, go over to atparentingcommunity.com and go over to the expert spotlight page and you will see her extra video just for you guys. So I hope that you guys are enjoying the podcast. I know I had spoke a couple of weeks ago about having a new segment on the podcast where I have parents talking about their wins and parents who have you know, taking a a skill or a tool that I've been sharing and how they're applying it and how it's helping. And I've decided to not do that on a different day, but I'm going to do that once a month on and have it as a full podcast episode. So that will be happening starting next week. So stay tuned. I interviewed some amazing parents with some great guidance and suggestions to offer you. And the first episode with that, we'll be next week. And as always, if any of you are out there who want to join that, you can email Sarah at anxioustoddlers at yahoo.com and give her your information and she can get back to you. So if you are enjoying the podcast, I always really appreciate when you hit a star on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcast and rate the show. And if you have a few extra seconds and you like to give back and show gratitude to people who give to you, you can leave a review. Um, I appreciate that, but more importantly, other parents appreciate it because it gives them um, an indication that this is worth their time. So I like that. And to show my gratitude, I always like to end the show reading one of them. So I want to thank Lane414. They wrote, I'm in tears finding this podcast. I can't even express my gratitude for Natasha sharing her free expertise in this podcast. I've spoken until I was blue in the face to my doctors getting nowhere And finally having help that I can just click and hear is the most amazing thing ever. I'm forever grateful. Well, I appreciate that. Um, And thank you so much for taking the time to leave a review. 
Yeah, I think that we need to disseminate information more in this area of anxiety and OCD. And there is no reason why parents can't get that support and that knowledge with a click of a button. So thank you for recognizing and appreciating that. So if you have something to say, leave a review and maybe I'll be reading your review next time. So I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care.